Philippians chapter 2. Finished the first chapter last week, and we just saw this continuing discussion that Paul had of just the depths of how blessed we are, how rich we are, and all that God has done for us, choosing us from before the foundation of the world, and and blessing us in all the ways that he has spiritually. Now in chapter 2, he turns his attention, kind of backs up a little bit to put it all in perspective, because in order to appreciate what God has done for us, we need to be reminded of where we would be without him, what it would be like had he not done this for us. And at the same time, he gives us a picture of the condition of the world apart from God. There was a uh, movie several years ago called The Sixth Sense where Haley Joel Osment played the part of a little boy who, who could see dead people. He told his, the therapist, um, I see dead people, and that was, the, that was the big line of the movie. His therapist turned out to be dead too, sorry, spoiler alert, but... Um, <laughs> But that's what I've entitled the message this morning. I see dead people. Because according to, and the sound man was trying to get the video guy to put it on there with spooky letters, but he was wise and didn't do that. Um, But Ephesians 2, as it starts out, it describes the fact that people in the world who are without Jesus Christ are dead in a whole bunch of different ways. And it reminds us that before he got a hold of us, we were dead. Understanding the nature of that deadness, a doctrine that we call the depravity of man, the fact that we were sunk until he came and breathed life into us and gave us a fresh start. And so Paul goes into great details here, but he begins here in chapter 2, and he says, and you... Now, in italics, it says he made alive. That's not in the original. Um, All the original says you were dead in trespasses and sins. The translators jumped ahead, and they didn't want it to start out too depressing, so they threw it in there. And in the King James Version, it says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Here in the New King James, and you he made alive. Really, all it says is, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. The word trespasses means that something fell off or fell back or is falling apart. The word sins is a word that means to miss the mark, shooting an arrow at a target and and missing. And so he says, "In, in every way, your life has fallen apart. Your attempts at doing the right thing, you miss. You, you set up your own standards for righteousness, and you can't even follow your own rules. You've given it your best shot, and you've missed the target. You've sinned. And so he goes on, though, to describe specifically what that's like and how it is you can say that people without Jesus Christ are dead. Well, if you've been it, you know what it's like to be dead. But people who haven't received Jesus Christ yet might be kind of resentful 
If we said, well, if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't accepted him as your Savior, the Bible says that you're dead. Now, it doesn't mean you're dead in that you can't function. It doesn't even mean you're dead in that you can't do anything good or you can't sometimes make beneficial choices. But spiritual death refers, first of all, to a separation from God, an inability to really connect with God. But furthermore, and we can see from the passage here as he explains it, the truth is that everyone in this world without God has several things acting on them that are all trying to kill you. In other words, without God, you are on a path that leads to a dead end. You're on the way to being a goner. And so let's look at what he says. He says, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is the way your life was. According, first of all, to the course of this world. The word there that's translated course, that's really not a real good translation. It's the Greek word eon, and it's usually translated age or, you know, kind of a, the idea is a generation or something like that. And then the word for world is cosmos, meaning the world system. So what he's saying is, you once walked according to the age of this world system. That's how you were living, the world. What's the world trying to do? Now, we can see the effect that the world system has on, on each of us. And in so many ways, the world is brainwashing us for its benefit. It's really what's wrong with the economy nowadays. It's why we're in such a mess. Because our economic system and our whole worldly system depends on creating a desire within everyone to have more, to compete, to increase in even things that you don't need. It's it's, it's making us want things. The whole advertising, those people last week that paid $3 million for a 30-second Super Bowl commercial was all to make you think you want something that you really don't even want. We were talking with someone the other day who was younger about the way the world used to be when we were kids. And, you know... It is kind of funny to think about the fact that not that long ago, it, it, the average family, you know, with four or five kids, they'd have a house that was, you know, a thousand square feet or something like that. You maybe had a one car garage. The kids would all share bedroom. They they used to have this thing called a bunk bed. <laughs> The family might have one TV if they were well off enough that would sit in a place. And there were only three channels, and they went off about 10 o'clock at night, and then you just watched an, a signal. It, it, was, it was pretty simple. Almost every family only had one car. You didn't need two cars. I mean, Dad was at work all day. He didn't need a car. He just needed to ride to work. And nobody ever thought of kids getting a car. I mean, nowadays, average house is two or three times that big for a family half that size. 
and perish the thought that your poor kid would turn 16 and not have a new car for themselves and be humiliated in front of all their classmates. It's just, it's amazing how it's changed, but we are depending on that expansion in order to continue to make the economy what we call grow. That's the world. The world is making us want. It's making us desire more and more. It makes us desire what we don't need, those things that we can't pay for. It fools us into thinking that somehow we'll be able to pay for it later. That's the way the world works. Now, every one of us in this world wants to be satisfied. And when someone talks about what it would be to just be satisfied, that sounds good to every one of us. And yet we have piles of junk that we don't need, and we still want more. And the world is doing that to us. And what's it doing to us ultimately? Of course, it's keeping us from that which we want the most, which is satisfaction. But even more than that, it's literally killing us. People are running themselves into the ground, living life at a frenetic pace, always trying to strive to get more, to have more, to do better. And it's all a game that the system is playing on us. Now, whether or not you want to give in to all the conspiracy theories and believe that there's a small group of people who are controlling this world system, personally, I just don't see that it's that organized. It doesn't have to be. Because this whole world is playing along. In little ways and big ways, the world is killing us. And the Bible talks about that, the threat that the world is. And it reminds us, don't love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. It's robbing us of a love for God because we care so much about things. And when we look at it and evaluate it, it, it makes sense that it doesn't make sense. I mean, I can, you know, I'm intelligent enough to know that there was something really crazy last Sunday about the fact that my world stopped so that I could watch a bunch of ridiculously rich millionaires throwing a piece of leather around on a field, and then I'm telling everybody to shut up during the commercials because I want to see what is the new way that they're going to pitch beer. And... <laughs> It's like, and then emotionally, my heart's ripped out at the end of the game when the ball ends up on the wrong side of the field. But then I tell myself, but man, it was a great game. That was a great, that was a waste of an afternoon. But today, I'll be watching the Pro Bowl and the Laker game at the same time and switching back and forth. What? Why do I care? What's going on? It's robbing my life. It's taking away things that could be much more beneficial to me. But we live in this world, and it has an influence over us. And apart from God coming in and giving us a perspective, we are just going to be victims of the world chewing us up and spitting us out. But it doesn't end there. He says, you're also walking according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. There's a real enemy. There's a worldly system. 
But there's also a real enemy who's called the devil or Satan. He was once an angel of light, and now he blew it. He decided he wanted to be greater than God, and as a result, he fell, and he is doomed to hell for all of eternity. But he hates God, and everything that motivates him is wanting to hurt that which God loves. And so he's roaming around trying to lie. He's the father of lies, and he's trying to hurt people as much as he possibly can. Now, if you don't believe in God, you're probably having a hard time believing in the devil. That sounds like a crazy sort of fantasy. But the world is is a disturbing place if you don't believe in the devil. See, because you can't explain all of the evil that's in this world just by saying, well, it's the system, or it's people's flesh. How do you explain a Charles Manson? How do you explain a Adolf Hitler, for instance? If you don't believe that there's someone who's really evil, that somebody else is driving some of these people to do horrible things that are self-destructive, that don't help anyone, that don't make money for them, it's just... And that's the devil. And he is attacking all of us. Not just those people who start speaking with weird voices and spewing split pea soup and their heads spinning on their shoulders. Every one of us is subject to the father of lies. Think about what your life would be like if you never believed a lie. Well, lies come from Satan. How many times... How many friends have you lost over a lie? Because they believed something that wasn't true, and now you'll never be able to convince them otherwise. How much broken fellowship, how many broken relationships are are a result of, of lies? Well, all of that is the work of the devil, because he is behind lies from the beginning He lied to Eve about God, and he's still lying to people about God. Why do you think atheists are so angry and upset? You'd think, okay, you don't believe in God, you don't believe in God. But why are these kooky atheists out there suing to try to get under God out of the Pledge of Allegiance and God we trust off the money and, and you know, to prevent somebody from praying a, a, you know, innocent prayer at an inauguration or why are they so mad? I don't see people out picketing against Santa Claus. The truth is there's something inside of them that is making them angry at God. And that something is the devil. He lies to people. And whenever people believe a lie, it's the influence of Satan. And what does Satan want to do? He wants to destroy you. He wants to hurt you. He wants to kill you. The worldly system, it's killing you. The lies of Satan, it's killing you. It turns you into a child of disobedience, somebody who does the wrong thing. And the funny thing is, we think that obedience is a horrible thing. People who don't know God resent the fact that God wants them to obey. They think that God just arbitrarily makes a bunch of rules just to make you do what he wants you to do. And that mostly what God is trying to do is to rip you off 
from what's best for you. That was the lie that Satan told Eve. Oh, the fruit on the tree, <laughs> good stuff. It's going to make you wise. God just doesn't want you to be that smart. He's keeping you dumb. So go ahead and eat it. And he's saying the same thing to all of us. He makes us disobey. When you get to know God, you realize everything he ever told you to do was to save your life. But we become children of disobedience when we listen to the lies of the devil. Let's read on. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We have the world, we have the devil, and now we have that third one, our own flesh. Not only is a world system trying to destroy you, and not only is the devil lying to you and trying to kill you, but you have something inside your very flesh that causes you to desire things that aren't good for you. And if we follow our glands, if we just do what our body tells us to do, it'll kill us. Lots and lots of people are dying every day simply because they're doing what feels right. There was that old song that Debbie Boone sang, You Light Up My Life, where she says, it can't be wrong if it feels so right. Nothing could be further from the truth. The truth is, most of the time, when it feels right, it's probably wrong. Because my flesh is corrupted, and I can't trust what it tells me I need. You know, I love it when people talk about, you know, it's amazing you start craving what your body needs and how we're so fearfully and wonderfully made that if, you're, if you have a, sometimes kids will eat dirt because they have some mineral deficiency and therefore they want to just instinctively know to do that. Well, if that's the truth, then I think my body is suffering severely from a cream shortage or a sugar shortage or something. Now, what I want, it's never good for me. And he says, not only the flesh, but the mind, which is a part of the flesh. Even though you may not do what your body is telling you to do, how many times does your mind go there? Can your fantasy life, can you drum up ideas and thoughts and pictures and images? And what's that doing? It's killing you. And so the Bible talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil, and here Paul points out all of those and says, they're all trying to kill you. You're dead without being delivered from this. Now, he also points out one other thing, and people don't like this one. But it's what, as he says, uh, the lust of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We don't like the idea that you can actually inherit a sin nature. When you talk about what we call original sin theologically, oh, people really get upset about that. They go, there's no way, that's just not fair. I mean, I'm born and I'm already a sinner? Well, the Bible teaches it throughout the scriptures. In sin, my mother conceived me and things like that. But, you know, it doesn't take hanging around little kids 
very long before you figure out how real this is. A little baby, you don't have to teach them to be selfish or to say no, to make a mess. You know, they, to get angry, you don't go, okay, come on, do it like this. Hold your breath. Come on, come on, you can do this. You know, maybe an uncle does that, but generally, <laughs> it just happens because there's something in our very nature that's killing us. It goes back to the Garden of Eden, to that decision that Adam and Eve made to sin. Now, I'm not sure how it works, but I know it's true. And the Bible talks about, Paul over in Romans says, by one man, talking about Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all, because all have sinned. So you're a sinner because you sin, but you also sin because you're a sinner. You inherit that. I suspect that someday, whether we discover it in this earth or, or in the next world, we're going to find out that what that tree of the knowledge of good and evil was all about was some sort of chemical um, effector of genetics that put a, some kind of a mutation within us that it, that damaged gene is passed down probably through the father because Jesus was born of a woman and didn't have a sin nature. His father was God. It's why it's through man that sin entered into the world instead of through Eve, through the woman. But if you think that's just too wild and preposterous, the truth is we do what comes naturally when we sin. And so, again, and it makes us, as he calls us, children of wrath. It sets us up to face the wrath of God because God cannot tolerate sin. And so we find ourselves on the wrong end of his wrath. And his wrath isn't something that is just he's throwing a fit. It's that God cannot tolerate sin. And so he cannot be in fellowship with us until the problem of sin is dealt with in our lives and in our very nature. Now, until that happens, we're essentially dead because the world, the flesh, the devil, and our own sin nature, every bit of it's trying to strangle the life out of us. Every bit of it is bent on destroying us. Now, there are two reasons why it's important for us to understand this. For those of us who have been delivered by Jesus Christ, we need to remember where we would be were it not for him. You can't really praise him sufficiently until you're reminded of how dead we were without him. Or if you accepted Christ when you were young, how dead you would have been had he not interfered and interrupted the flow of death in your life. But secondly, we see dead people all around us. And often we get frustrated with them. We expect them to act a certain way that's better than they act. We look at them and we have no compassion on them. We need to understand that the people that we see walking around out there are, for the most part, dead. They're being killed by all of these forces. 
And that ought to move us with compassion toward them. It ought to make us very tolerant of them wanting to kill themselves and others because we need to understand what's behind all that. And we need to remember that's us apart from the grace of God. So we can't connect with the world the way God wants us to. We can't share the gospel until we come to appreciate, look what they're under. Look what is ruining them. Look what is causing this kind of damage. And to remember, if it wasn't for the grace of God, that's where I am. So Paul leaves us in this yucky state, but then the next two words are priceless. Because he says, you were like that and so is everybody else, but God. God didn't leave us that way didn't leave us dead. God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. We'll look at that a little more in verses 8 and 9 next week. But he's raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenlies, In Christ Jesus, that in the ages, the eons to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Wow, what a sentence. That starts out, but God. And Paul goes, look what God did to you. Look what he did for you while you were dead. His mercy touched you. His love surrounded you. He paid the price for you to be delivered from death. Now, there are some people who I think misinterpret this teaching of depravity, and they suggest that because you were dead, you can't even respond to God. He just pretty much saves you, and you don't have a choice to make. But as he goes through the death, he's talking about all the choices that people are making. He holds people accountable, and so I do believe that we have the opportunity to respond, and that when we respond to the offer of the gospel, that he comes in by his grace and his mercy, and he saves us, and he breathes life into us, and he delivers us from that which would have certainly destroyed us. And I so appreciate that. And ultimately, his plan is this, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He wants to make us trophies of the grace of God. He wants people to be able to look at us and go, look what God has done for you. That's amazing. And we are even now seated in the heavenlies, Not only is Jesus in heaven, but because we are in him. Hey, our position is already established in heaven. We are no longer citizens of this world. We are citizens in heaven. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through, as the old song says. I have a place. And where I really belong and where I really fit is in his kingdom. And I am experiencing his kingdom now, even on the earth, but I look forward to that day when that's all I know. 
And that's my experience. And the message that we have to provide a dying world is you don't have to die. You don't have to do this. You don't have to destroy yourself. The world, the flesh, the devil, your sin nature, it's all been defeated, the cross of Jesus Christ. And you can entrust yourself to him, and he'll forgive you and adopt you into his family and place you in the heavenlies and give you the power that you need that will allow you to say no to a world that's trying to destroy you, that will allow you to combat the lies by having a truth to counterbalance it that comes from him, by allowing you to have victory over your flesh and and the things that happen in your mind because you're filled with the Spirit, and that will allow that sin nature to be defeated by God giving you a new nature when you give your life to him. We can't afford to forget this, you guys. Because you can never know how much God loves you until you understand how lost you were. He didn't just help you out. He didn't just give you a boost. He didn't just add a little bit of extra something to your life. You were dead. You were on your way into a brick wall. And there were a bunch of forces that were pushing you there. And his love and mercy interrupted that skid and he offered for you his his grace his love his forgiveness a new position with him everything else has been defeated now it's just a question if you believe it and live in that power or not and it's also a question of how do you look at the world do you see people who are lost and you're just disgusted by them you know it's funny when you're a new christian There's always a a real passion to go and reach other people because you remember what it was like. And and you're not coming and going, look how good I am. You're going, hey, I am as messed up as you are, but look what God showed me. And look what he has done. But it seems like after a while, our eyes become accustomed to the dark. We think we're getting a lot better. We're growing even. And we lose our connection with the world. We lose our passion for the world because we don't even remember what it feels like to be dying. We can't afford to do that because we are here to present the message of the gospel to to a dying world. And we are so close to where they are. The only thing that separates the most disgusting person in the world and you is the grace of God. And we've got to keep that in mind. But it also brings us to true praise because I really can't praise God for his grace if I forget how much I needed it. If I forget how, how desperate, what a desperate strait I was in when he got a hold of me. And so Paul gives us this perspective and he's going to go on in the next Verses and just expand on how amazing the grace of God is. But let's not forget to look in the mirror and realize we were dead in trespasses and sins, children of disobedience. And then when we go down to the mall or when we're out on the street or when people cut you off, that's how dead people drive. 
That's how dead people act. That's what they do. When they cheat you, cut in front of you, they lie to you. Be compassionate. They're dead. But God doesn't want them to be dead. He wants to give them life. And he wants to speak through us. And as people see us lit up with the joy of life, people ought to see us and go, I've never known anyone so alive. What's the deal? And then we can go, I wasn't always alive, I have to tell you. I'm only beginning to appreciate life now because of what my Lord did for me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of the gospel, for your amazing grace and mercy, for what you did for us on the cross. Lord, we are so grateful. Help us to live with a constant awareness of the beauty of your deliverance. Help us to learn to, by your Spirit, have victory over the world, the flesh, the devil, our sin nature. And then to live lives that look like life. Help us not to walk around like walking dead people, because we're not dead anymore. Lord, if there's anyone here today who is dead, and now they're starting to realize it, whoa, that is me. Help them to, even now at this moment, decide to receive your gift of life. Cause them to feel more alive than they've ever felt because they've made things right with you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.